Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that will inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for excellence. Today, we're going to find out the algorithm of success with Thomas Douglas. Now, Tom joined his company, JMark, in 1997 after serving in the Navy, where he was recognized with multiple awards. As a level one engineer at JMark, he worked his way up the ranks and finally purchased the company in 2001. Then Tom had to make some hard decisions and downsize the company to only six people. But now he's got over 120 employees and J-Mark is a leader in its space, having hit the Inc. Magazine's list of the top 5,000 fastest growing private companies nine consecutive times. Now, he's a trusted technological advisor to a global list of clients and often speaks on topics such as culture, people puzzles, technology efficiencies, and cyber security. His latest passion is to share his lessons learned from building a, a great business, which celebrates the culture and the people that make it successful. He's written a book called Adapt or Die, and it's online course. He shares the algorithm of success trademark formula, which is required to help small and medium-sized businesses thrive in an ever-changing world. Tom, it's Fantastic to have you here with us, sir. Yeah, thank you, Bill. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Okay, I know, but our listeners don't quite yet know who you serve. Yeah, we focus on the small to medium-sized businesses, organizations from uh, about 25 computer users up to the 250 range. Uh, for certain circumstances, we'll go above that. Our, our focus is helping organizations solve the technology puzzles that they have in their environments. It's an ever-changing, complex environment, and a lot of these organizations just don't have the expertise within the business to make the right choices, to keep them secure, to, to empower people to be successful with technology. So we step in and, and help them to design the right environment, deploy the right environment, and then manage and secure the right environment. So a couple of related questions to that. So I'm imagining that you've identified some common problems that exist among those people. So mm -hmm. could you delineate uh, a few of the problems that you're, you and your team tend to uh, step in and solve for people? Yeah, absolutely. The first and most obvious that, that we walk into is security problems. Because cybersecurity threats are continuing to change and be more sophisticated, a lot of businesses are just ill-equipped to, to combat that and to keep their business safe and secure. So that's probably the big one. Second to that, is instability. One of the most important things when it comes to running IT within a business is predictability. You, We like to describe it like when you get in your car in the morning, you never anticipate that it's not going to work or not going to start. You push a button, you turn the key, the car comes on and you go. That's the way technology should be. And when that doesn't happen, it just drives people crazy. And so our job is to make that consistent. And when there is a problem, to be there to support our clients to navigate through it, to get them back in, in production as quickly as possible. So that unpredictability is, is a big deal. And then I would say probably on the heels of that is, is backup disaster recovery, safety, navigating through the challenges of cloud technologies and making good decisions for the business. So uh, maybe our listeners would benefit, Tom, from you going through a case study or two about how you go about solving those problems. Maybe starting with how does a prospective customer find you guys? How do you diagnose their problems? What do you do to solve? And then what's the end uh, game look like? 
Yeah, really good question. And unfortunately, it's not always an easy thing to solve. Uh, every business has history around its technology. Sometimes it's just an average guy that has been handed the baton, like you're the young guy, so you get tech. Congratulations. And they do their best to, to hobble along until it gets to a point where they he, he can't handle it or she can't handle it anymore. Other times you have an IT professional who's in there and they turn over or a partner who's in there and, and people get frustrated. So the first thing that we have to do is an assessment of the environment. So we step in you can go to our website, jmark.com, J-M-A-R-K.com, check us out and, and get in touch with us. We do an assessment of the environment and, and we determine what the current posture of the technology infrastructure is. Identify the security problems, any aging problems. Oftentimes what we find is you have a combination of server issues, cloud issues, internet connectivity issues, and, and security vulnerabilities in the environment. So once we know what the truth is about the current environment, then we can put a strategy together based on budget to, to get people to uh, what we, we call a safe or stable environment. And, and it's from a stable environment that our goal is always to help our clients continue to, to climb and innovate within the business. But but like building a house, if you build it on a bad, bad foundation of technology, it'll come crumbling down around you. Uh, and so we, we really focus on getting the, the environment stable and then empowering the business to innovate from there. So it sounds, Tom, like from a model standpoint, you've got both a project model and then you've got, uh, I would imagine, some sort of an insurance recur recurring consulting arrangement or something. What, that, what, those, uh, what does that pricing model of yours look like? Oh, it varies based on the number of users and the complexity of the environment. It starts in the low 2000s and scales much, much higher than that. So when we think about the, the projects themselves, it, it, it depends on how extensive the, the risk is or how old the equipment is or, or what the situations. Sometimes it, it means a, a full server refresh. It's not uncommon for us to walk in. <laughs> excuse me, and have to throw a $200,000 project into a client environment because they have just ignored technology and hobbled along. But at the same time, it's not abnormal for us to walk in and have practically no project costs because they have a pretty good environment. It just needs some more attention. And then from there, we focus on what it, what it means to proactively monitor and manage the environment and then be responsive to the tickets when people have issues. And that's all based on the size of, of the business. Okay, great answer. Thank you very much. So I'm guessing that you've got uh, quite a few competitors uh, in your uh, environment, both geographically and in the actual space you just articulated for us. Tom, how do you guys go about differentiating yourself from all that competition? It's all good competitive environments. We, we do have good competitors in our marketplace and in our region. And, and it's not always simple, but I think the, the thing that we really try to lean into that differentiates our organization is, is our focus on people in production. Uh, so many organizations raise the flag and I've got the best technology, I've got the best geeks, I've got the best nerds that are going to help do that. And, and we flip it around because at the end of the day, most business owners don't really care about the, the technical pieces of it and all the speeds and feeds and shiny blinky lights. What they want is they want their people to be productive and they want their people to be happy and to be able to get things done. We tell our team all the time that, that good people want to do good work. And most business owners focus on hiring good people. So it's our job to empower those people to do their best work and, and to move forward. So when we think about a network assessment, 
sure, we are, we're thinking about the risks of the environment and, the, and maybe the technology challenges, but the end result of that, is it impeding people? And so our tagline is people first, technology second. And we really lean into that, that really high class of delivery of the technology to empower the great people that we support to, to do the best work. Okay, beautiful. I love that answer. We, I think our listeners now have a good idea of who you serve, what the common problems they have uh, mm -hmm. are or is, and then how you go about uh, making your assessment and dialing in a, a solution for both the immediate situation, whatever world it is, and then long term. And then you finally told us how you are different and better than your competition in most cases. Let's get a new hat on your head, sir, and think about being a business owner. And we've got lots of listeners who'd like to know what your major milestones were as you built your business and what you learned from the successes, maybe, and what you learned from some of your failures. When I introduced you, there are a couple of points in there, like joining as a rookie, mm -hmm. bottom of the company, second, having to make some serious trimming of staff and mm -hmm. then rebuilding things. So take your time and go through some of the major milestones and what your lessons learned were, Tom. The first one I'll share from the very beginning is be humble, because if you're going to build a business, you're going to be humble over and over. And if you let your ego get in the way, it's going to be a, it's going to be a hard road. You got to embrace your failures. You got to, you got to learn from those mistakes and just do your best after that. When it comes to major milestones, I think one of the biggest challenges that we had as an organization is figuring out the actual business model itself. Like, how do we make sure that the business is sustainable? How do we create value for our customers? And how do we make sure that our customers are happy to pay the invoices and, and don't get frustrated by the fact that there's an invoice showing up every month or, or after a project? So a lot of listening to our customers, understanding where the product fits, uh, what are the pain points, and then what are the unique capabilities that we need to have in the organization to, to deliver on, on those products? And then creating a repeatable engine. Once you understand the product, I call it, your product is actually your promise. And so you're promising something to your customer. How do you create the operational flow in the business so that you can always keep your promises um, and making sure that your customers are, are happy with what you, you're delivering? One of the worst things that you can do, which we experienced, is for a customer to get buyer's remorse. They think they're buying something X and what they actually come up with is Y because you've either overpromised and underdelivered or fallen short in some area. And we, we as an organization, as we've evolved over the years, have, have figured out that our job as business leaders is to love the truth, even when we don't like it. Uh, and that is true of ourselves and our product and the value that we create uh, in, in, our, in terms of how a prospect sees us or a customer sees us. Uh, or as it relates to even our partners and our vendors and how they're interacting with us. We rely on the, the Microsofts and the Cisco's and the Fortinet's of the world and HP. And if, if we don't have good relationships all the way through the, the supply chain, all the way through to our customer, then, then we're going to fall short. And so getting those things all aligned. And then once we understood kind of the foundations of it, we entered into a phase of the business where we just focused on the actual financial model. What are the gross margins that we're making on the products and the services that we're delivering? And then after we understood the gross margins, then what, what is left? What permission do we have to spend on SG&A, sales and general administration expenses within the business to, to make sure that we're, we're actually putting cash in, in the bank and creating safety in the business? And 
And you've been in the game for a long time. There's a lot of businesses that make it, but they starve themselves from cash. And then the pandemic hits and game over. Uh, I had a lot of mentors along the way that helped us to, to build a, a strategy to build, put cash reserves uh, in the bank. And, and when the pandemic hit, it was one of the biggest gifts I've been able to give in my life. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that was to, to stand up in front of the company and say, we've been planning for this. We knew that winter was going to hit at some point and, and we were prepared for it. And we had cash reserves to run the business uh, and make sure that nobody is, was at risk of losing their job. And, and you could just see the company in that moment go, it's like a sigh of relief when everybody uh, realized that we were safe, that we had been planning for it. And so I think culturally, one of the biggest challenges hit when we were about 40 employees, communication started to break down. When you're around 30 employees and down, everybody's in a big room or maybe there's an mm -hmm. office or two, but it's easy to communicate and keep everybody on the same page. But when you hit about 40 employees or so, you, you've got to be really intentional about keeping people on the same page and knowing where we're going and here's the strategy or here's the challenge or here's what we're focused on right now. And that took a whole new level of leadership for me to, to navigate through just because it, instead of it being a reactionary communication style, I had to move to be to a very proactive uh, communication style where I'd anticipate the questions from the team before they were asking them so that they were prepared for what was coming next. And I screwed that up for a while. We were broken uh, in the culture and then we got really intentional about it. And, and we were an EOS company. Uh, so we, we started with Rockefeller Habits and then moved our way into traction and, and creating those systems and processes inside the organization really helped us to get from 40 employees to, to just shy of 100, where we hit our next cultural whammy, just because it was another level of sophistication and mix of people, more people, personalities that, that would clash at times. And so we had to really learn to lean into our core values and hire very intentionally, making sure that the people that came into our team had the same belief systems around how to work and how to treat people and and to always lead with respect and always be focused on honor first. And, and when we got that, it you know, accelerated up to the mark that, that we're at today. And so there's a thousand stories I could tell you about any piece of that, but I'll, I'll pause there and, and see if there's something that triggered for you. Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, number one, about three times, four times even maybe, of the, the magic 40 number we had, we were forced to change. Today, I'm imagining you've got a team of managers so maybe you could tell us how you identified and built your management team, how you go about on, on a day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year basis, managing, the, if you will, the managers, Tom. That'd be great uh, insights for our listeners. Yeah. The, the first insights that I would tell you is to identify your rock stars uh, before you need them to be rock stars. So the people that have the potential in the future, and then plan for about 18 months to two years of mentoring them. And, and helping them to be successful. So we started a leadership training program, oh, many years ago, I guess now, but we did a lunch and learn twice a week for 90 minutes. And we brought those leaders or, or future leaders into that lunch and learn. And I just walked them through challenges with people, challenges with customers, how to talk people off of a ledge, how to make sure that you're having courageous conversations. And we just walk through these scenarios over and over again until it was really built in. And certainly we didn't get it all right, but there were a couple of rock stars that emerged from that. 
And as they started to emerge, I started to have one-on-one meetings with a couple of those folks, really leaning into their leadership and, and where their strengths were and their weaknesses. And sometimes we had to have some really challenging conversations. The natural instinct of a geek isn't to be empathetic but you need to be as a good leader. And so we had to work through what it means to lead well and, and to understand the, the feelings, emotions, thoughts, and frustrations that other people may have that they don't necessarily naturally understand. And so working through those situations. So in short, I would say spend a lot of time and a lot of intentional time build the leaders that you want. You're going to do some outside hiring for sure. Be very particular about those folks, but build the leaders that you want in your style that represent how you would think about leadership and in treating people within the organization. Okay, beautiful. Next thing that kind of triggered was you're a very culturally oriented business owner and mm-hmm. uh, it served you well. Maybe you could walk us through uh, quickly how you use your cultural filter when you go about hiring somebody new? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to to focus on there. The first would say that I I learned a long time ago um, from a a lieutenant that I worked for in the Navy, how not to be a leader uh, as it relates to culture. That was my first like lesson. He was an asshole. Uh, I didn't want to work for him. Nobody wanted to work for him. Nobody uh, enjoyed being around him. And I swore that I would just never be that kind of a leader if I was ever given the the chance to do it. And so I think that understanding what it means to receive leadership is a critical part of culture and getting it right and and treating people with respect and honor from the very beginning and, and building that in. So we really lean into Uh, making sure that our job is to recognize the potential future of an individual within the organization, help them to become the best version of themselves. And that oftentimes requires that we believe in them before they believe in themselves. So it's finding those diamonds in the rough and and really doing that. And so when we're interviewing uh, a lot of the the capabilities, obviously we're asking really challenging questions around our core values and how they've learned. But what we're looking for is coachability, is humility, and the ability to learn and the appetite, the desire to to climb to a better level within their life. And when you find those passionate people who don't have an ego that's, that's sitting out front that are just anxious to be a part of something special, we can coach them into the to a, a good leadership role and help them to be that better version of themselves that they're fighting for. And it's a really special thing when you're able to pull it off. And we're not always successful by any means, but but we've gotten pretty good at it over the years. And it's I can imagine, yeah. joy. It's just a joy. So, so if you make a hiring mistake in, in J-Mark, is it typically mm-hmm. a cultural fit mistake or is it a didn't understand somebody's skills mistake? Almost always a cultural mistake. Um, we can teach skills. We can teach keep capabilities almost always. Not There, there are times that, that people don't understand how hard it is to do the job. And that's not necessarily a, a cultural problem or a skill set problem. It's a get or done problem, especially I would suggest in the sales arena making 40 cold calls, 50 cold calls a day, grinding it out day after day until you get a good list built and a prospect funnel going. That's hard. And a lot of people think, oh, sales is easy. I can talk to anybody. I'll get in there. And they're just not willing to grind it out. And, yep. and so occasionally those there's those challenges that, that really aren't culture or skill. It's just, you got to be willing to bust your ass and do it. Yeah. So Tom, uh, what's holding J-Mark back right now, would you say? 
We, excuse me, we have done a pretty good job of, of uh, building talent within the organization, but it's still a challenge uh, finding people who have a passion for technology. Managed services is hard because um, you're working on different networks every day. It's not the same thing. So you're relying on documentation, configurations, and what somebody did to a network yesterday may have had a negative impact. And so you have to be able to, to quickly assess what has changed into an environment. In the prospecting side, there's only 3% in our industry. There's only 3% of the prospects out there that are in the buying mode. So the sales cycles oftentimes are 24 months long. And so you're, the, the game of patience is really hard. And so when it comes to finding the talent that, that can persevere through some of those challenges is sometimes unique. Um, but I think the way that you overcome it is to make the day fun, help people to win the day and to, to recognize the contributions that they're making in the organization and, and so that they feel successful, even though it may take a while before they get the first sale or before they, they're solving tickets at the pace that they want, whatever it may be. But the, the biggest challenge is finding the right fit of, of prospect and the right fit of talent. Excellent. How can our listeners, Tom, get a hold of you? What's the best way? Going to our website, jmark.com. They can get in touch with us there. They can send an email to me at tom at jmark.com. That'll go into my inbox. And also the adapterdie.com website is where the book is. And so if people just want to learn some of the lessons that we've learned and, and how you know, the whole purpose of the book was to take all of the great lessons that I've had with great mentors and great leadership around me and pay it forward because so many people just haven't had the chance to work with great coaches and people who are willing to invest in them because uh, they're fighting for their own chance. And, and so I wanted to take those lessons and summarize them the best that I could and give people a chance to get access to some of the great lessons I've had. Now, that second website you just mentioned is also, I think, a repository of a gift that you've got teed up for our listeners. So what is that gift and, and what's the exact URL, Tom, that they'd go to get that? Yeah, it's www.adaptordie.com. And if you register down at the bottom of that website, you get access to many of the tools that we provide as a part of that. You don't have to buy the book. You don't have to buy anything. There's free resources available. And so there's what we call a TCP or target customer profile worksheet that helps you to identify your target market. There's a, a worksheet for value creation strategy. So how much do you want your business to be worth over what period of time? There's other tools tools in there around operational flow, technology flow, communication pathways. All of those assets are available there as a part of the registering on the Adapter Die website. Okay. And just so our listeners can be clear, that website is you as a business owner to business owner resource. That is not a GMark, if, if you will. Uh, prospecting tool that you're using there. Yeah, 100%. That is right. correct. It's, it's paying it forward and helping people to lead their businesses more successfully and navigate through some of those challenges. Okay, good, good, good. And thanks for the clarification. So look, I've asked you several questions, but maybe there's one problem. In fact, I know there's at least one question that I maybe should have asked, Tom, I didn't. So what is the question that I should have asked you that would give great value to our listeners? And then... Uh, Give us the answer as well. <laughs> Excuse me. I think the, the question that I am asked most often right now is around artificial intelligence. You know, what, what's coming? What should I be doing? Should I be freaking out? Should I be scared? Should I embrace it uh, from that perspective? And I, I, I don't know, maybe you've had some 
people on on your show that that have focused in that arena. Uh, I was fortunate to to recently take a class from MIT on artificial intelligence, and I can tell you, I learned a lot uh, as a part of going through that. And and so, the, the answer to it is spend the time, learn it. If you think about Microsoft Excel as an example, if if you went into your finance department and you told your finance team that they had to do their jobs without Microsoft Excel anymore, you you might get kicked in the knee. Those folks are pretty passionate about being able to use that tool as a part of the way that they facilitate their job. What I would suggest is AI is going to be as critical to the business in the future as Excel is to your finance department today. So whether it's a marketing department, whether it's your legal department, whether it's your HR department, your talent management, or you're going all in and, and creating your own data warehouses, AI is going to be a big part of the future. So spend the time, test, play, develop some policies around it, figure out what to do and what not to do. Don't put confidential information into chat GPT. That's a bad idea but put generic information in there and, and ex, uh, explore a little bit and experiment with what it can do for you. And what I would suggest to your use, uh, listeners is that the tools are designed to create something that is average, uh, something around 75 to 80%. So many people are worried about losing their job to AI and some of these things. And certainly there's going to be shifts in the workforce as it relates to that. But what I believe is going to be the future is that there's a special combination of that individual who can take the work of an AI tool from 75% and make it beautiful at 100%. Uh, and it's that individual that's going to have more value to the businesses in the future because everybody can create average, but only some people can get it from average to special. So the way you do that is to spend some time with the tool, learn it, and become an expert. Excellent. Thanks for that great question and the beautiful answer, Tom. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, you bet. So everybody in closing, and Tom kind of hit on this, and that is this fact that your business, nobody's business, will set themselves up for extraordinary growth in a single moment. Instead, it takes a combination of three things. One, creating a visionary strategy. Number two, having a system management system to execute that strategy. And number three, leveraging high performance teams. Now you can get your hand on those three tools. Just go to getbillsgift.com. Thanks for listening. Tom, once again, thanks for spending your time with us today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Bill. I appreciate it.